so I got I got to thinking a little bit about um, how out in Texas um, about two weeks ago there was a church shooting and uh, stuff like that. And I just got I just started to think you know what this world is really messed up place. Like there's some things that um, that are just you know that that just really shouldn't be shouldn't be happening like that. And, um, and then I was I got to thinking you know, what what would it take to make the world a perfect place, right? What would that look like if you got a chance to fashion the world into a perfect place? So, okay, the standard answer, um, if, you, if you were to ask it at a Miss America contest, you get the standard answer of, does anybody know that one? World peace, okay. World peace, world peace, right? We want everybody to be able to get along. Okay, so I agree, right? World, world peace, okay. War hurts, war kills, and so we, you know, we don't want that to be happening to people. So we want it to be able to have peace between nations, right? Um, how about this? Um, provisions or food. Everybody has enough to eat. Right now there's you know, countries where people just don't have enough to eat. So we would you know, love for the billionaires to share with the poor people, and then everybody has enough, right? Yeah. Okay, so we've got um, uh, peace. We've got provisions. How about protection? Wouldn't that be nice if instead of the police showing up after a crime, they could show up to prevent the crime? That'd be great, right? So peace, provisions, and uh, food or pr- protection. And uh, let's see what else. Um, how about kindness prevails? And so no malicious people, right? Because then if you don't have malicious people, then you don't, don't need police anyway. So that's, that's good. How about kindness? How about kindness prevailing? Um, like everyone everywhere shows kindness. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that just be great? And so right now, if you go somewhere and you're waiting in line or, or, or you know how it's almost like a game of strategy to, to kind of position yourself so, so other people don't get in front of you. Or if you're driving a car, and, you know, you, you want to make sure that you don't get, you know, pushed out of the way. And anyway, so instead of the game of strategy being, I'm going to, I'm going to make my, you know, position known, the game of strategy would turn into a kindness thing. And so it'd be like, um, you know, waiting in line would be a, a, a test in one's skill of kindness. Oh, my apologies after you. No, 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 my mistake. Please, you go for No, no, I insist. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly, you know, it would just be an act of kindness the whole time. So... And you wouldn't want, you know, mad people or mean people there, right? Because that could kind of mess things up. How about this? Freedom to pursue what you want, right? Instead of somebody telling you, you have to do, you can do whatever, you, you know, a job, hobbies, whatever, just as long as it doesn't hurt other people, right? So, so, so the rule would be, um, the, the only rules would be uh, to, to make sure that, the, you know, mean, mad, or malicious people aren't, aren't, aren't doing those things. How about this? No politics. And so, you know how in politics they degrade each other and they say bad things about each other? And so they could puff themselves up and make themselves feel important. Well, we, how about we just get rid of that altogether, right? And besides, people who do that, they deserve to be degraded themselves. They just, but anyway, so. Okay, then how about pride? I mean, don't prideful people just kind of get under your skin a little bit like they always think they're a little bit better than you kind of thing? Don't you just want to kick them in the shins? So we don't want pride there either, right? So pridefulness is not allowed. Everybody's equal. Nobody's on a, nobody's on a pedestal. Everybody's the same. And um, then while, while we're at it, hey, how about, how about no pain, right? Pain hurts. We don't like that. How about no passing away? We're, we're racking up quite a list here. This is going to be quite a place. So no passing away, no death. Saying goodbye to loved ones is so hard. And to not get a chance to say goodbye to loved ones is probably even harder. And so if we've ever been through that, we don't want to have to go through it again. So we want this place to not have pain and no passing away, right? And you know what the biggest problem would be, though? The biggest problem with this whole scenario that we're theorizing 
is it would be hard to find people who are qualified to live there, right? I mean, so you can tell from my little comments that I'm probably not qualified to live there, and you're probably not qualified to live there either. So, um, but wouldn't you just love to live in a place like that, right? World peace, abundant provision, everyone protected, kindness prevailing. You see my theme of peas? I just really like that. Uh, per, freedom to pursue what you want, no politics, no pridefulness, no pain, no passing away, right? Sounds really great. So if you're enchanted by a place like that, the thought of a place like that, then there's some really, really good news for you because it's not just imaginary, it's real. And the Bible calls it the kingdom of God. So, first slide here, there is a kingdom of God. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked uh, the dusty roads of Israel, from Galilee to, to Jerusalem and back and all over the place. And what was he proclaiming? He was proclaiming the kingdom of God, right? And so, and so what is the kingdom of God? There's so much, there's so much to be said about, so much. Uh, but the Cliff Notes version, it's going to be this kingdom just exactly like we described, except somebody has to rule it to make sure everything happens in orderly fashion so that somebody's Jesus. He's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem, and he's going to rule the entire world in peace and justice and equity, and it'll, and it'll be just exactly like we just described. So many things in this world get corrupted, but you know, in his kingdom, everything's going to stay pure, and it'll continue forever. So... In the Christmas story in Luke, uh, just, it just talks about that a little bit. I'll just read the last verse of that. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's going to be set up, and it's going to go, it's going to you know, progress forever and ever. And then in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, I put this up here on the, on the overhead. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's interesting. It sounds like a duplicate phrase, doesn't it? A son is given. It's actually different, though. The son already existed. He was given. So the child is born, but the son was given. He was given up to us by the father. And the government will be upon his shoulders. He'll rule. <coughs> and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Why? Because he gives peace to all who come to him. Peace with self and God and others. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So there is a kingdom of God. And um, for the next slide, the kingdom is really, really real. It really is real. People can't, you, you just can't see it. People just can't see it. So some people are, who are skeptics would say, well, it can't be real because I can't see it, right? I need to be able to touch it, taste it, feel it, whatever. Okay, how about gravity? You can't touch, taste, or feel gravity, but we know it's real. Why? Because you can prove its existence when you drop something. And so in the same way, you can't see God, but you can see him acting for you when you pray. You can't see his workings, but you can discern after you spend time with him that you have peace and hope and joy for life. And you can't see Jesus, but you, what you can see is the results of when somebody finds Jesus, their lives are changed, even their countenance has changed. So the kingdom of God is really real. It's just people can't normally see it. But sometimes, ever so rarely, God will pull back the curtain of the spiritual realm just a little bit to show you, to show somebody what's behind there. So, for example, in the transfiguration. So I cut and pasted out of Mark 9. So, <clears throat> so Jesus said, 
Um, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And so we automatically go to think, oh, that means that Jesus has to be on the throne in Jerusalem and this whole thing has to set up. That means these people are going to live forever, right? Well, no, it doesn't really mean that. In all three versions of the story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it jumps right into the next thing. And about six days later, it says, that's that's when the fulfillment happened. And so six days later, uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and led him up to a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, it says. His clothes became white and shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared with, uh, to them with Moses. Elijah and Moses, how about that? They just show up. And they were talking with Jesus. And then, and then Peter opens his mouth and says something dumb. And then in verse 7, And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. So this, you know, do you notice in the text, this didn't surprise Jesus? He wasn't like, oh, wow, Moses, never seen you before, you know, or, or Elijah. It just didn't surprise. This is probably normal for Jesus. When he would go to pray, this was probably more along the lines of normal for him to to this transfiguration. So Peter and James and John, their eyes were open to see it to see Jesus transfigured. But this probably was more along the, um, along the normal lines for Jesus. <clears throat> so we're spiritual beings, right? Does everybody know we're spiritual beings? So um, why? How do we know there's a spiritual realm? Because we're spiritual beings. And so in, in Ecclesiastes, it says, he, God has put eternity in their hearts, right? So here's my question for you. Have you ever seen a cow hold, cows hold a church service? Like they go out to the field and they all gather around and, you know, one of them moves and the other ones move after or something like No. Have you ever seen dogs sacrifice a chicken to the great dog in the sky? No, because they're not spiritual beings, but people are. In every corner of the earth, people have come up with a, some sort of religion. It might be, you know, like real, like Christian, or it might be something outlandish and crazy. But they come up with some sort of religion to... To, to scratch that spiritual itch that's on the inside because God's put eternity in mankind's hearts, right? So the kingdom of God is really, really real. And the kingdom of God is available. So Jesus said, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, and then we'll read what he actually said. Jesus said, um, basically, the kingdom of God is so close, it's so very close, it's close enough to grab a hold of it anybody who can hear what I'm really saying. And if you want it, it's there for the taking. So in Mark 1, this is the way he put it. Jesus announced the kingdom by proclaiming, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. He was making an offer. He was holding out the kingdom of God for people to take hold of. And some people did. So the kingdom of God, so what, what we just described, you know, peace and provision and all those things. The thing is with that, it sounds so sterile, doesn't it? So third person and so distant and, and cold. But the kingdom of God is not like that. It's so much better than that. It's, it's first person. It's cherished. It's warm. It's, it's full of love. You notice how love wasn't on that list before that we talked about? The closest we got was kindness. But, but the kingdom of God is first person and cherished and warm and love. So you've experienced the kingdom of God. I'll give you some little little things. To, this is how you know you've experienced the kingdom of God. When God reveals to you that he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. Not for the world, 
But when he personalizes it in your heart and says, you know what? I sent my son for you. Not for everybody else, but for you. He died in your place because I want you to be with me forever in heaven. It's when you realize that even though your wrongdoings are so big that you should never be allowed into a place like heaven or the kingdom of God. That as big as your wrongdoings are, God's love is bigger. And he's able to make a way to bring you to himself. It's when you no longer feel the weight of your guilt from wrong choices in your life because God has forgiven you. It's when God chooses you and he adopts you into his family. Do you remember when you were like, has this ever happened to anybody where, where they were like getting chosen for dodgeball or something in elementary school and you're like the last person picked? Has that ever happened? Does that make you feel happy? That doesn't make anybody feel happy to be the last one picked. The kingdom of God is when that gets flipped around. When God comes seeking after you because he wants you to be the first one, the, the, the first nearest term, the next one on his team, in his kingdom, he chooses you. He chooses you. It's not by accident. He could have chosen anybody. And, 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 you know, from our perspective, we look around and we think, you know what, I'm just not the smartest. I'm not the funniest. I'm not the fastest. I'm not the prettiest. I'm not the, you know, best preacher, whatever, right? There's so many people that God could have, probably should have chosen over me. But God says, no, 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 no. You're the one I wanted. It's not an accident. I want you. Because he wants you to be in his family. Why? Because he's got so many good and delightful things to give you. So I remember when I first experienced God's love, I'm going to give you the short version. So I was 23, and I'd always felt like God was angry with me, that he was against me, and he was against anything that I wanted to do. That's what, that's what God was to me all the way through when I was about 23 years old. And then he helped me to do something that I couldn't do on my own that was important to me. And you know what? He, like the margin of success with doing this was so slim that it, it had to have been God because... It was so slim. It was like skin your teeth kind of slim. I should, not have, I should not have been able to do this thing, but somehow I was able to do this thing. And right in that instant, it's like God impressed on my heart. And this is what he was saying. He, he was saying, I'm for you. I'm not against you. I want to help you do exciting things in life. And I love you. That was the first time I experienced God's love. And it won me over just like that. I broke down in tears right there on the spot. I'd, I'd never encountered that before. So the kingdom of God is available. And you know what? There are people entering it. So what would happen if you took a, a nice, thick, juicy steak with the baked potato and broccoli and you put it in front of somebody? Let's just, let's just say that you forgot the silverware. And you put it in front of somebody who hadn't eaten in about three days. Do you think that they would wait for the silverware? <laughs> they would probably lose their table manners completely and dig right in, right? I think that's the concept for Hunger Games. I've never seen the movies, but whatever. Um, so uh, my uncle was Navy Special Forces. And so before he went into the service, um, if his peas touched his mashed potatoes, he wouldn't eat either one. But after he got done with special forces training, you know, where they eat worms and bugs and tree bark, 
he got home and his parents had steak, you know, for the welcoming home thing. And as it, you know, he, he, he was a little sloppy, so he cut it and, and a piece of steak fell on the ground. So the dogs almost got to it, probably because they had dogs. And so Bill went and grabbed it and threw it in his mouth. He didn't even wash the dog hair off of it. He was a lot more aggressive, a lot less cautious. The same thing happens to hungry, to spiritually hungry people and spiritually thirsty people when they encounter the kingdom of God. Those who are overwhelmed by their guilt and shame. Those who think that God is angry with them and just itching to squash them. Like I thought. Those that wish they could be important to somebody. But they don't feel like they're important to anybody. When those type people, people in those circumstances, experience God's kingdom and his love, they get aggressive. They get they throw caution out the window completely. They're like, wow, he cares about me. And from then on, they don't have any reason to play it safe. God's promised to catch them if they jump, and so they jump with all the gusto they can manage. And that's what we see in Luke 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been, has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Then in Matthew eleven twelve, this is this verse is like an enigma to a lot of a lot of Bible scholars, but it's really simple if you just see it through this perspective, through this lens. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Have you ever seen the hundreds or thousands of people, like in a, in an old video of people who walked the aisle at a Billy Graham crusade? Have you ever seen somebody give up everything to go on the mission field? Have you ever seen somebody quit their job to go to Bible school? You probably thought, man, bad idea. They're crazy. No, they're not crazy. They're just captured by love. God said jump. So they jump. They're willing to risk it all for the love that has found them. So now they're captured by God and they seize the opportunity to be part of his kingdom. And to these people, it's the greatest privilege of their life to be able to give up something for God. To give up everything for the one who loved them. Because Jesus had become their everything. So there isn't a price that's too great to give him in return. So Jesus told a couple short par- parables about this, Matthew 13, 44 through uh, 46, or 40, 44 through 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy, for joy, for joy over, he goes and sells all he has, and buys the field. He got what he wanted. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. But when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. That's the violent taking it by force. That's throwing um, caution to the wind and getting aggressive about, something, about the love that's captured you. 
So some people are entering into it. So my question is, what about you? Jesus is inviting you, pleading with you to enter the kingdom. And like we talked about before, you and I, we're not even qualified to live in the kingdom of God. Not even qualified. But Jesus offers to make us qualified. Even in spite of all your faults and mine, your failures, your issues and problems, even in spite of all that, God still chooses to focus his love on you and, and do whatever he can to bring you into his forever family, to choose you. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But for some reason, God wants to hold you in his arms forever. You are important to him. And he wants to cherish every moment together with you, not just in eternity, but now. To cover you with the shadow of his wings, to watch over you with loving care, to protect you. But you have to accept Jesus' offer of the kingdom of God. So, what, so what's it going to cost to enter this kingdom? What's it going to cost? Right? We talked about people giving up everything. What's it going to cost? I'm just not going to sugarcoat it. It's going to cost everything. It's going to cost everything. So what, am I, what do I mean by that? It's, well, for, first of all, it's going to cost your guilt. You see, guilt's the feeling that you get when you've done wrong and it's proven that you've done wrong and there's no escape. It's because you're guilty. The condemnation is already spoken that you're guilty. It's the inner feeling of disgust with yourself. The cost, part of the cost to entering this kingdom is you've got to give that up. You've got to lay down your guilt. Why? Because Jesus took your guilt. He was condemned in your place. He took the Father's judgment that was directed with you or at you with a death sentence. He took it because he loves you and he knew that it would be too much for you to take. That's what love does. It steps in front of the bullet. Entering the kingdom of God will cost you your guilt. Because two parties, two different people can't pay for the same crime. Once one person's already paid for it, then it's paid for. You can't go back and you know, re, do a retrial and get somebody else to pay the penalty for that crime truth. So Jesus already took the punishment. He already took your penalty. So you're legally no longer guilty. You're justified. A handy little saying with that is, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. It's not perfect, but that's the idea. No more guilt. He wipes it away. It's actually a trade. You give him your guilt, and he gives you something in return. He gives you peace and acceptance. So you can sleep with a clean conscience. So it's going to cost you your guilt. It's going to cost you your shame. The public shame for your actions. You're going to have to lay it down because Jesus took that too. He hung on the cross, exposing himself to hurls of insults that he didn't deserve. You know who did deserve them? Me. And you. At any instant, he could have said, look, I didn't do anything wrong. This shame that you're putting on me, it's not even mine. It's Dan Jones's shame for... for he could have named the action, but you know what? He didn't. 
He just kept his mouth shut and he took it. He took my shame. He took your shame. He hung on the cross and willingly accepted it. Why? So you and I don't have to. He knew we wouldn't be able to handle to handle it. So we give him our shame and he willingly takes it. And he trades us again. What does he trade us for this time? He gives us honor. And so instead of us being shamed in front of people, he gives us honor in front of people, in front of, in front of him. We may have messed up with our lives, but he chooses to honor us by calling us sons and daughters of God. We get to be called by his name. So coming, coming into the kingdom is going to cost you your guilt. It's going to cost you your shame. It's also going to cost you your bondage to harmful behaviors, your sin and failure. Look, you're going to have to throw off the chains that keep you in bondage of wrongdoing. They're already unlocked, but for some reason we still seem to wear them. Kind of like the elephant that from the, from the baby, from the time it was a little baby, it got chained with the, with the strong chain, and so it thinks it can never pull the chain out. And then as it grows older, it's so much stronger than that chain now. It could easily break the chain, but it's just convinced in its mind it can't get away. We could easily break away from the pattern of whatever wrongdoing it is with the power that God supplies. He gives us so much strength that we can do that. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, which means for living right, then you will be filled. Instead of continuing to be in bondage to the things that, that you hate, you can, you, can, you can get away from that. It's a trade here again. You give him your bondage and he gives you freedom and joy. With the chains broken, you have freedom to live, freedom to walk in his way, where you're not going to have to go through that guilt and shame and condemnation anymore. And so why? what happens then? You're going to get joy. So it's going to cost you your guilt. It's going to cost you your shame. It's going to cost you harmful behaviors that you hate anyway because they make you feel dirty. It's going to cost you all that. It's going to cost you fear of judgment. The fear of being judged by God, well, that's got to go also because there's, there's no longer anything to fear because you've been accepted in Christ Jesus. As long as you're in Him, then all fear is gone. If you walk away from him, then there's problems. But as long as you're in him, all fear is gone. You're accepted and loved. So the fear has got to be traded for perfect love. You know that verse, right? Perfect love casts out all sin. Or all fear, I'm sorry. So it's going to cost you guilt. It's going to cost you shame. It's going to cost you harmful behaviors that you hate anyway. It's going to cost you fear of judgment. And it's going to cost you hurts and pains. Other people have hurt you. Maybe your parents didn't encourage you. Maybe your friends were unfaithful to you. Maybe your family didn't accept who you really are. Others have failed you. And most people hold on to those, those hurts and pains, and they keep them tucked in a little drawer in their mind. And so whenever they're, they're feeling um, uh, you know, hurt and they want to wallow in self-pity, then they open up that drawer and, and pull those things out, look at them and, 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 and say to themselves, oh, I've been through so much, I've been hurt, I've been wronged by everybody. They lick their wounds over again to remember how they were wronged because it's comforting. You're going to have to let that go also. Jesus said to forgive and forgive you must. To forgive somebody, it's been said, is to open the prison door that's been holding you in. 
And then so you can walk out. The trade here is that you give him your hurts and pains. You bring it to him and say, Oh God, I have been so hurt. And you give it to him and you leave it at his feet. And he gives you freedom to walk away. He gives you freedom. <clears throat> so in Isaiah 53, um, 3 through three through 6, um, I'll go ahead and read it, but just, just think about the things that Jesus has done for you and for me in here, where it says, you know, our griefs, you know, our, those type of things, okay? He's despised and rejected or forsaken by men, a man of sorrows or pains, and acquainted with grief or sickness. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses. He has carried our sorrows or pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, or struck down by God and afflicted. We thought he was taking it for himself, is what, what, the, what, what the writer is saying here in Isaiah. But he was wounded or pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, the, the, the penalty of payment so we could have peace, that, was, that penalty was laid upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all, or laid on him the iniquity of us all. <laughs> so after Jesus takes your guilt, your shame, your bondage, your fear of judgment, and your hurts and pains... And he gives back to you love and acceptance and peace, honor, freedom and joy. You know what? By the time you get to that point, you're going to hold nothing back anyway. By the time you get to the point to see in how much God, is, God loves you and how much he's given for you and for me, at that point it is so overwhelming that there's nothing else that we can, that we can do to hold back whatever it is that God would want from us. Problems and all. Because he takes the whole package, even our problems. And, and, when, and, and, and when, when we get through giving up those things and seeing, and seeing the, the vastness of God's love for us, then we look and we say, you know, there's no mountain too high to climb for him. There's no cost too great to give to him. There's no distance too far to travel for him. And there's no obedience that's too outrageous for Jesus. Why? Because you've been found by love. And you found that you're in the kingdom of God, but not just that, you're in the kingdom of God's love. Colossians 1, 12-13. Giving thanks to the Father... Who has qualified us, remember, we can't qualify ourselves, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so if that's you and you haven't come 
to Jesus, invitation to enter the kingdom, then please come and talk to me. Please come and talk to Eddie. Please come and talk to somebody. And so we could help you get to know how much God loves you. So we'll go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We don't even deserve to come to you. But we come to you only because Jesus made the way. Only because you decided to choose us and to love us even when we were unlovable. And how much more are you going to start or continue to, to fix us, to take our brokenness and to turn it into beauty? Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you for your love that's bigger than any one of the problems or any you know, bunch of problems or issues grouped together. Your love can overcome all of it. We ask that you would find us with your love. That every single person here would realize how much you love them individually. Each one of us. And that we would just throw caution out the window because we've been found by love. Help us to follow you with all the gusto and passion that's available, that's, that's within us. We praise you, we give you glory, we give you thanks. We ask that you would protect us today. Keep us safe. Watch over our families. Keep us on your straight and narrow path. And we'll love you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.